Hi, this is Donna Otto. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Yesterday I talked to you a little about the profound impact the Word of God has had on my own personal life. And it's a powerful time, and, and it has happened many times in my life where God has, has highlighted a portion of Scripture, a concept out of Scripture, um, an account out of Scripture, a life out of Scripture. And these passages become more than alive. They are real and they are anchors. Uh, recently, I was invited to be a part of a small group for uh, just a, a week's event. And one of the things that I was asked, which was I'd never done before, and it was to create a biblical timeline. And I thought, whoa, what is that? Like, know everything between Genesis and Revelation? I can't do that. I was immediately, you know, daunted by the possibilities of that. But no, it was something far greater, and I had never done it. And it was, go through your own life, your own life, all of your own life, from child to wherever you are, and tie anything that might be a part of the Word of God, a part of Scripture, a part of an account or an individual in Scripture that might have been a reference point. Did you go to church as a child? Was there a verse you heard or a song you sang? What about your high school days or your college days? What, what verse did they read at your wedding ceremony or verses? When you were having a baby, were you reading the Bible and did the Lord give you the name of your child? My grandson's name is Samuel. Now, he's our first grandchild, and he's a little older, so I often speak about him more than I speak of Eliana. But both of our grandchildren have names rooted in the scripture. Eliana's is the Jewish word for worship, and the last part of that is named after Anna, the praying prophetess. Oh, I really did ask my daughter just to name her daughter Anna. I guess because I wished I had named my daughter Anna. Instead, I named her Anna Lisa, which came out to be Anissa, and I still love it. And Samuel, of course, is found in the Bible, and he is so proud. He just goes on and on. I have two books in the Bible, Nana. He's happy to tell anybody that. What is your account? Is it just one verse or one phrase? Was there a dark time? when you heard the Lord say, be still and know that I am God. It was a wonderful exercise for me personally. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, but today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about uh, being a parent and teaching your children the Word of God. And what is your responsibility? I am very strong on the parents' responsibility. And if you know my teachings at all, or if you've read any of my books, I have a number couple of books on parenting. One of them is called Finding Your Purpose as a Mom, Building Home on Holy Ground, and the other one is Loving Life as an At-Home Mom. You can find those on the Homemakers website. Order them. We'll send them to you. Read them. Encourage them. I haven't mentioned anything recently about the Choices Matter DVDs. I should do that. I'm sorry I haven't. Um, it's a series that we're very proud and pleased to offer to you. It's a wonderful series of 24 lessons 
again based on the anchors of homemakers who you are as a wife a woman a mother and a homemaker there are six hours of teaching on each of those subjects it's great for a small group but it's great for your own personal devotion and personal teaching and there are now study guides online that you can buy one study guide at a time and work through this material and there are six lessons that I am proud to give to you on parenting and I'm very strong about parents' responsibility. Uh, you make this choice. You do. And that's why we call this series Choices Matter, because choices do matter. And you and your mate to decide you're going to have children. Did you do know the statistics? Have you recently heard this book about changing America? And that in America, we're not talking about countries in Europe. We're talking about America starting in 2009, that 40% of all children born in America, and that number has prevailed and increased by small amounts till last year, 42% of all children born in America were born to unmarried couples. I was born to an unmarried couple, and I was called illegitimate. Uh, my mother had delivered me out of wedlock. Huh. Terms we certainly don't banter around very much anymore. Um, they're kind of harsh terms, aren't they? They're hard terms, but they were true terms. My parents made a choice to be together, and um, that choice resulted in a child. In the end, they did marry, and they lived very unhappily together for 12 or 13 years, and then were divorced. When you make a choice to have a child, you make the choice to be responsible for that child. And I want to remind you, just as in their education, whether you choose private education or public education or homeschooling education, you are ultimately responsible for your children's education. Not me, not your school, not your church, not your parents or your husband's parents. But you, you and your husband make these choices. It's a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. And what God will lead you to make a priority. I, I see many families choosing private education because they are concerned about their own lack of knowledge in, in educational matters or in spiritual matters. And they put them into private Christian schools where the word of God is taught every day or public schools because they want their children to be strong in their faith, or they want their sports program, or they want the music program because they have understood what the scripture tells parents to know the bend of your child and help them in that direction. Homeschooling is a very popular option these days. And I continue to read these reports that the finest institutions of higher education are culling out applications and putting to the top of the pile students who have been homeschooled, who are at 15 and 16 finishing their academic rigors and are able to go on to college life. I don't know what your choices are about education, but I want to remind you that you are responsible for those choices about educating your children, and no one else will take that responsibility. And I want to remind you that you are also responsible for your teaching them of spiritual matters. I want you to read the Bible. The meaning of the Bible is in the book, not in the information about the book. I don't want you to read books that are about the book. I want you to read the book. I want you to read it as in how to study the book. And Paul tells us that the work of studying the Bible is work. 
All I have to do is give you an assignment, tell you there'll be a test, and go out and study, and right away, you raise up your hands. I have loved teaching a group of women. I lovingly call them by names, and I have loved teaching this group of women. And the reason why I've loved it, they've been great students. I gave them hard assignments and papers to write, and they wrote them, and they grew in their own walk of faith. And I want to say that you are a walking Bible. Your family is the first place of worship, the first institution of learning the Bible. I don't know what version you want to read the Bible from. There are many versions, and uh, there are many voices and many labels about the walk of faith. But you are free to continue to read this Bible in public places of worship and in private places of worship. This will not always be true, potentially, in our country. We must take that as a consideration. The Underground Church in China, and I loved Randy Alcorn's book called Safely Home. It's a novel written about the Underground Church of, of, of China. Randy Alcorn does great research before writing any of his novels. Uh, where the church was happy to have one page of a Bible for one month or two at a time, and then they would slip it around the communities that they lived in. We are so privileged to be able to read it. Well, I was thinking today about this archive that we prepared many years ago, a couple of years ago, and it was a whole week of teachings, 30 minutes a day, on Know the Book, um, do you know the book? How well do you know the book? And I, I was thinking about the man whose name was William Tyndale. And today I, I want to end by giving you just a minute of two or information about William Tyndale, who was born in 1492, and he died in 1536. Did you hear that? 1492, and he died in 1536. He was a martyr. He was strangled and burned at the stake. And do you know why? Because he wanted to make a version of the Bible in an accurate English translation that he said, and I quote, the boy that drives the plow could understand it. He wanted to take it out of the hands of only those who could read Latin or Greek or Hebrew or, or all the Aramaic languages and then pass it on to people. He wanted all of us to the freedom to do that. In 1523 in London, uh, just 12 or 13 years before he died, and I quote, the technology of communication. Can you imagine what the technology of communication meant in 1523? When we think of technology, what do we think? We think of our iPhones and our iPads and our PCs and our computers and our telephones and all of the pieces of technology. The list is so long. <laughs> they were talking about the technology of communication. You know what that was? The printing press. The printing press. And they were talking in London in 1523 about the pace of the culture that had sped up so much because of the printing press. And here was this renegade whose name was Martin Luther who had defied the Pope. 
I recently read an interview about the Archbishop in Ireland. I'm sorry, I do not remember his first or last name. It was either Martin something or something Martin. But he was taking a stand about the cover-up in the church and the priests who had gotten away with ill-treatment of young children. I thought, he's taking a stand, the same way that Martin Luther took a stand and said, there is more to the scripture than works. There is grace. Yes, there is works, but there is also grace. And then William Tyndale, who who is considered to this day, along with Shakespeare, as one of the founding fathers of literature, and that his vision was to make this Bible in an English language so that all of us would have access to this language. When the first of six copies were delivered, there broke out a spontaneous reading of the Bible aloud. Can you imagine that? I've thought about it in these days as I prepared for today's time together. I wonder what it would be like if I went to the head of my cul-de-sac with my Bible and I started reading it aloud until, like Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Smith goes to Washington and the filibuster, I'd completely run out of gas and, and then I would pass the chair to someone else or we'd pass the book to someone else and we would continue to read. I know that's been done more than once in our history, but it was because of William Tyndale, born in 1492, died in 1536, who was burned at the stake. Tell your seven-year-old boy about a man who gave his life, strangled, burned at the stake, because he wanted there to be a book that was written in English that you and I might have the privilege of reading. That was powerful to me this week. I hope it is to you that a man gave his life that you and I might be able to read this book. I pray that you will read this book that you will know this book, that you will learn all you can learn at this season about Easter and the preparation for Easter, and that your hearts would be made anew and afresh as mine was when the Lord challenged me to begin encouraging women, as I hope I have done today. This is Donna Otto. We are homemakers, and I pray that you will be encouraged by the resources found on our website. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day.